Good morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Glad that you are, are here. If this is your first time visiting with us, hey, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this, this morning I was just reminded that uh, every Sunday when you come in, you get one of these, these handouts. And it's just a good place to take, uh, to take notes and to just keep track of, you know, sometimes there's something that jumps out to you. In fact, there, sometimes there's something that I say that jumps out to me and I'm like, hold on, I need to write that down. <laughs> I, I just don't really have the opportunity to, and, it, it, uh, and I need to look, go back and listen to the recording. And uh, it, it, By the way, we do have a recording. We are uh, on our website at try-cityschurch.com or on iTunes. If you listen to podcasts, you can listen to the sermons, you can subscribe, you can keep updated there as well. Uh, but this is just a, good, uh, just a good way to, if something jumps out to you, if you hear something that um, just really speaks to you and or where you are in life or, or what you're thinking in the moment because I can't count the number of times um, that either I was listening to a sermon or I was in church or I heard somebody say something actually even just this morning um, uh, I, I, I was getting ready to, to, to get, get, get ready for church and I go running through the house uh, actually uh, to grab my, my iPad to go jot some notes and it was just something that just came to my mind I knew later I wouldn't remember it um, and Kim was looking at me like I was crazy. She was like, why is this guy just running? Through? Like, we're getting ready for... And I just ran because I knew it was going to be out of my mind as soon as I thought about it. Uh, and so maybe that's, maybe that's you, and maybe you just need to be jotting some things down on Sunday mornings because uh, you just won't remember it when you get home. In fact, I've, I've gotten... Uh, and I'm, I, uh, I'm not going to sit here and talk about this for forever, but I've gotten to lunch sometimes, and I saw somebody, and they said, hey, what would you preach on today? And I'm like, um... Uh... uh <laughs> <laughs> and I know that if I forgot what I preached on, I know that other people are going to forget about it too. Uh, so, so take some notes, and then also on the back of the sheet, it's uh, some questions that are there that help you to go deeper and to consider and to apply the message that we have on Sunday morning. Uh, so use that. I mean, you can use that even if you just want to break it up through the weeks and really spend some time in these different questions, or if you want to sit down one day and do them all together. But, but use that, especially during the summer when, when small groups aren't meeting. Uh, and you don't have a time to sit down with the community and discuss that. Um, also, in the, in the seats in front of you, there should be cards. If you have anything that you want us to just know about, anything you want us to pray about, just let us know. Um, and if you're visiting for the first time, we'd just love to know that you're here. So whatever you're comfortable filling out on that, that, that would be great. So this morning, we're continuing our Seven Churches series. We're actually nearing the end, and I, I typically don't do long sermon series because I get bored quickly. Uh, so after three weeks, I'm like, next, like it's on to something different, right? So this is probably the longest, other than the, um, we did Sermon on the Mount once, and that was longer than this. Um, but this is probably the longest series, longest time we've been in one uh, solid section of Scripture. Uh, so we've been in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, looking at these seven churches. Jesus writes this letter to these seven churches. He calls them lampstands uh, because they are created um, we are created to be lights in this world. God created us for that very purpose, to be lights and to shine the light of God in this world, as Matthew chapter 5 says, so that others might see the light and not be led to us, right? Not just be led to our church, um, not just attracted to us, kind of like a moth or bugs, you know, this time of year, bugs are to the light outside, but they might be attracted to God. And so um, we are here in this world as the church to make God attractive uh, to the world because, and that's not by, um, and that's not saying that we, uh, that we change who God is, that he might be attractive to this world, but that we present who God is because he's the God of creation and by his very nature, his love, his grace, his compassion, his gentleness, his power, his sovereignty, uh, his blessings, his in-controlness is, is, uh, is powerful and attractive. 
um, and it draws people to himself. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw people to myself. And so this week, we're at uh, church number six, the Church of Philadelphia, um, the faithful church, the church that God has some great things to say to. And I just want us to hear what he's saying to this church this morning and then to us as well. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to gather here in this place. And God, the church, um, our world, um, our communities are in a time of questioning and maybe even chaos and confusion. Um, Believers, non-believers, people who follow you, people who don't, um, are asking questions about what's going on as we watch the news, as we pay attention to what's happening in our society. And God, I just, um, my prayer is that your grace will reign. That your power, your grace, and love will reign. And that it will be alive more than ever through us. And God, I pray that you help us to hear the scriptures today to your church, that they might be your church And that the world might come more than anything else to know your great love for us. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So um, the church of Philadelphia is the church we're talking about today. Um, But but as you know, um, there's a city in America, right, in the United States, in Pennsylvania, named Philadelphia, right? And Philadelphia is an important city, has played a, a very historic role in, in, in U.S. history. Um, in, in fact, it's a, it's, a, um, it, it's a nice city to visit. If you've never visited Philadelphia, because it has, it is, I think it, I saw the fifth largest city in the United States, which I was, I was actually surprised by that. And so don't, don't call me on that because I could be wrong. But I want to say I read that it was the fifth largest city. I mean, it has such character and history that almost just permeates from, uh, from that city. Uh, and, and it was, it was actually in the early days, um, it was, it was, um, it, it once served as temporarily as the capital of the United States. I, I didn't know that until this week. I was reading about Philadelphia. That I think ni- or 1790 or so, it, it was actually the capital. It was the meeting place of the founding fathers of this country during the American Revolution. It was the place where the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution was signed. And, and more than anything, those documents shape what it means to be an American. Um, l- listen to this, um, these, Parts. This is the Declaration of Independence. Listen, you've, you've heard this before, but let me just read it to you. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's part of the direct Declaration of Independence, right? Or the Constitution. This is a part of the Constitution we've all heard. Of course, it was one of the amendments, the first one. It says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the rights of people to peaceably assemble. Um, That's one of the reasons why we can do this, um, because of how America was founded. And we can do this out of fear of, uh, uh, without fear of us not being able to meet in a place like this and, and to petition the government to redress uh, for a redress of uh, grievances. And so that's part of the Constitution. Now, more than anything else, um, these two documents, I'm sure you've heard those before. You've heard them lifted up. That's just part of what it is to be uh, American, right? Uh, Those are the things that have shaped our society more than anything else. 
this freedom to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, this freedom to gather and to practice religion. It's one of the things that has made America the place that it, that it is. More than anything, these documents that came out of, uh, out of Philadelphia shaped, has shaped this country. Now, when we look at ancient Philadelphia, it was similar in its effect on the world around it. Um, in fact, it was founded as this missionary city. It was at this strategic location where the border for three different cities came together. Right? And so when it was founded, it was founded with this ideal of being missionaries, but not missionaries in the sense that we think of, but they were missionaries of Greek culture. And so what they did was from Philadelphia, ancient Philadelphia, that is, which is in now uh, modern Turkey, what, what happened there is that missionaries were sent out to spread Greek culture. And so they went out with, um, with the different gods that they had in that culture. Because if we look back then, they had multiple gods and temples all over the place where people gathered for the worship of different gods. And so they went out spreading the, the, um, the gospel, if you will, of these, of these other gods. And they went out spreading the Greek language. And they began, in fact, there's one country, I think it was uh, Lydia, um, that, that was... Um, uh, right, right next to um, uh, Philadelphia, ancient Philadelphia, where the language wasn't Greek, but by the time Philadelphia got done with it, the language was Greek, right? Because they invaded these places with these missionaries, and they began to teach them um, uh, what it meant to be uh, Greek and to be part of this Greek culture. And so they began sharing that, whether it was the foods, whether it was the language, whether it was the religion, whether it was just their practices, their way of life. There's different sayings that exist within cultures. They began spreading that throughout the ancient world. And so just like Philadelphia here in the United States, where those important documents were signed and where the, the America was, um, in a sense, uh, given its shape from that center place, Philadelphia in the ancient world was a similar, similar place. It, it shaped and changed the ancient world. Now, there was a church that was planted in Philadelphia. There was a church that was started there, and it began to grow. And in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus writes to this church. And now we've looked at six, this is the sixth church so far. And for most of the churches, except for the church in Smyrna uh, and the church in Philadelphia, for all other five churches, uh, Jesus says something pretty hard for them to swallow, right? He says some negative things to them. They all follow a similar pattern where he says, I know your deeds. Really, he's saying, I see you. I, I see what you're doing. I know your deeds. Um, and he says, and you've done these things well. He usually commends them first, um, but then he hits them, right, with some, some things, some challenges, some areas where they can improve, some things that they need to do different. Now, there's only two churches that he doesn't do that with, and that's the church of Smyrna, which we saw already, which he said to that church, you're going to go through some difficult times in your life, um, but I'm going to be with you. And the world's going to come to know me better because of you. So that's what he said to the church in Smyrna. Because of the difficult times you're going to go through, the world's going to come uh, to know you better. And mind you, I'm still in control, right? And your destiny, your, your life, your future is secure in me. And so God said that to the church of Smyrna. Now to the church of Philadelphia, he commends them for their faithfulness. He has nothing negative to say to this church. It's, it's only good things to this church. Even though they were going through difficult times and challenges, God had, he, he saw them, he watched them, he knew of their faithfulness, and he commends them for it. Look at Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these, word, these are the words of him who is holy and true, 
who holds the key of David. Now, the key of David is, is a reference to Isaiah in the Old Testament, reference to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, um, where it talks about this key of David. And in fact, these next words here in Revelation come directly from Isaiah chapter 22. It says, he holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And really the scripture is pointing us to the fact that God is the one who can open the door to our future, right? That none of us know what's on the horizon, that none of us even know what tomorrow will bring or what lies after death apart from God. And so he's really pointing to the fact that the future is totally fully wrapped up in God himself because he's the only one who sees it, knows it, planned it, and is prepared for it from the beginning of time. And so it says he holds the key of David. The doors he opens, no one can shut. The doors he shuts, no one can can open. Then he says, I know your deeds. Same thing he says to all the churches. I know your deeds. And then he says this, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word. You have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not um, uh Uh, but are liars, I will make them come to fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And so what he's saying here is in, you really see this in the gospel of John, but you see it throughout the Bible um, that there was this tension in the first century as people became became followers of Jesus Christ and as churches were planted um, that you had Jews because Jesus was born a Jew, um, but some accepted him, some didn't. And so you see this tension between the Jews that didn't accept Jesus and the Jews who did accept Jesus and became followers of Christ, later called Christians. You see this tension beginning to spring up um, where um, the Jews who accepted Jesus were being put out in the synagogue, right? They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They were being ostracized, marginalized, outcasted, whatever word you want to use. But they were being pushed to the edges of their, their communities and their society because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it says these people who claim to be Jews but are not because um, Jesus was a Jew and Jews began to follow Jesus um, when they accepted him and believed in him. He says, I will make them out to be liars. Then look at verse 10. Since you have kept my commandments and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. And so he's telling the church what he's been telling every church since that, hey, I, I want to be your God, right? I want to know you. I want you to know me. That's the whole reason for this, right? God gave us the Bible so that we might know him, the scriptures, so that we might come to know him. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he says, I, I want you to know me, but also to know my power to protect you, to know my power to be with you, to know my power to walk with you. So to the church of Philadelphia, he says, hey, I'm placing before you an open door. And it's an open door that you can come to know me because I know your future. I know your future. What I've opened, no one can shut. But I've placed before you an open door. You know, there's times in my life when I, and I I say I'm a firm believer in this concept of open and closed doors um, because it's just worked 
for me in my life. When there's times that I have difficult decisions to make, um, or, or there's times when um, I just don't know what direction to go, and it's something that, that may weigh on me in the future, I begin praying more than anything else, um, I, I, God, your will be done, right? If this is not for me, and, and I just can't see which way to go, because there are times that, we, that, the, that the choice, there are times that the choice is clear, but there's times when we just don't know what to do. Even if we're honest with each, with ourselves and we remove all distractions, there's times that we just don't know what to do. And I begin to pray, God, if, if this is for me, if this is your will, uh, open the door. Make it clear. Open it wide. God, if this is not your will, close the door. I don't want to go. In fact, my prayer is, God, if you're not going through this door with me, I don't want to go. If you're not with me in the future, I'm not going. And so that's become the prayer, the, the prayer of my life to God, right? Is that if you don't go with me, I'm not going, right? And it was our prayer when we moved back to, to uh, East Point to uh, help plant Tri-Cities Church. Our thing was, God, if you're not going with us, um, we don't want to go. And there was this song that I felt, and I heard this song just this morning. I was listening to Pandora, and I heard this song, and I hadn't heard it really since we moved. And there was this song that began to play on repeat, right, in my head. And then it began to just pop up in different places where whether we were in church or somewhere. And this is a song that said, never once have you ever walked alone. And this is never once have I left you on your own. And the song says, you are faithful, God, you are faithful. And so the prayer of my life is, God, if you're not going with me, I don't want to go. And I pray that that becomes all of our prayers, that, God, we want to go where you want us to go. We, we don't want to go where we want to go and then call you to come along with us, right? We want to go where you're calling us to go, where you've ordained us to be, right, from the beginning of creation when you knew our future and you knew the plans that you had for us. And so here to this, this church, God is saying, I've placed before you an open door. Now, this church was faithful. And I think the temptation or the challenge for me is to view these open doors as um, almost rewards for the life of faith. Because as humans, we crave reward. It's just natural, right? If we get a, a, a car, a new car, it's God has blessed me. He's rewarded me, right? We use this word blessed or be able to get into a house and God has blessed me. He's rewarded me. And so as human beings, we crave reward. Just think about all the things in our society um, that hold this promise of reward, right? You might get a credit card and it has points. And if you pay it off, you get reward. So you join some kind of membership program. And, and by being a member, right, you get rewards in this world we crave reward that's from the time that we're young when you're a child and you behave you want something right some candy or cookie or um, treat a movie or something you you we learn to expect and to crave rewards it's just part of human nature but when Jesus says to this church in Philadelphia, although you've been faithful, although you've done right, although you're the, the church that I'm commending above all others, you're the faithful church, I'm opening this door for you. But this door isn't fundamentally about reward, but it's about responsibility. It's not about reward. It's about responsibility. And see, here's the thing that we got to get in the Christian life and that is that God is our reward. That, that God is our reward. Because see, when we look to reward, there's a problem with rewards. If we want God to re reward us with health, 
right? There's a time coming, right? No matter what you do, no matter if you have the best doctors, the best medicine, that that health is going to decline, right? If, if it's a car or, or a house or some kind of material possession that you want, there's a time coming where that thing is going to wear out. So there's a problem with us placing this, um, this, this label of reward or blessing upon the things of this world that ultimately will fail us and are temporary. Um, but, but the Bible says this. It says that, in, I mean, over and over again, different places, that God is a God that never changes, that God won't fail us, that God won't forsake us, that he will always be there, that he's the Alpha and the Omega, that he's the beginning and the end. He's the only reward that lasts from the beginning of creation all the way to the end. And so um, we got to get to the point where if, if all we have is God, right? And this is difficult for us here particularly in America, um, because we are a fortunate people and even our poor are wealthy in comparison to the rest of the world. But we got to get to the point where if God is all I have, I'm content with that. If, if God is my only reward, right? If, if I'm a homeless, broke, um, a no job, uh, relationships messed up and falling apart, if God is my only reward, not that I'm satisfied with that and I'm not going to make any strides, God isn't calling us to be lazy uh, and just sit back and do nothing. But if that's all I have in this life of faith, this journey with God, then I'm okay with that. I was just reading this message from a friend that's, um, he's actually in ministry and trying to discern um, his next step and uh, where to go and where God is leading him. And he wrote this long message asking us to pray for him uh, because he, he just doesn't know which door God is opening for him. He doesn't know which direction to go. But he says something very powerful, and I'm, I almost wrote it down. I should have wrote it down so I could share it with you. But he says, um, he said at the very end, this is the closest letter, and it gave me goosebumps and kind of chills. He said, I, I, but I am content with God. He doesn't have a job, doesn't have a source of income right now, but I am content with God and I'll continue to be satisfied in him if I don't get anything else. And I thought to myself, that's the posture of the Christian life. That God is my only reward. And so when Jesus writes this letter to the church in Philadelphia... He says, I'm opening this door for you, but this door fundamentally isn't about a reward that I'm giving you because I am your reward. I am all you need. I can't help but to think that what God is trying to do is to extend our vision beyond today. What God is trying to do is to help us see beyond the right now, beyond where we are in our life right now, beyond our lack right now, beyond our pain right now, to that day that the book of Revelation will talk about when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more struggle, when there will be no more hardship, when there will be no more trial, there will be no more broken relationships, and that all we'll have is God and we'll be satisfied in that. And he wants us to walk closer to that place right now, right here. That's the prayer that he taught us to pray in Matthew. I think it's chapter 6 um, when he says, um, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If earth is ever going to become like heaven, we've got to be satisfied in God alone. You know, when I was growing up, we used to always read that scripture that talked about there's going to be this one day we were going to have 
uh, these streets of gold in heaven. Uh, and my perspective as a child, and I think even in the perspective of a lot of adults who are followers of Christ, <laughs> is that more than God, we, we crave the streets of gold, right? It's like we think we're going to be able to just, like there's limitless gold, and we're going to be able to like come with hammers and chisels and crack it up and take it home and store it up. And the next day we're going out here, <laughs> cracking away at the gold and storing it up. And it's like, it's like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. This gold never is. This chocolate never is, right? It's, it's like we, we live as though that, like God is promising us a place where the goal will never end, where the goal never ceases to flow. But that's just not true, right? He's promising us a place where we're fully content and satisfied in God alone. And so he's challenging us now not to focus on reward, but to focus on the responsibility he's placed upon us. Now for this church in Revelation, the church in Philadelphia, they were a missionary city, but not missionaries for the one and only true God. They were missionaries of Greek culture, but what God was doing in that city was he was turning their focus to be missionaries for God. He was changing the gospel from the gospel of Greek culture to the gospel of Jesus Christ that he came and taught and preached and and and, um, and, and gathered people to come and follow this new way of life. So he challenged them to be changing their culture by the way they lived out their faith around them and the way they sent people who were teachers and followers of the gospel. Ultimately, he was calling them to be missionaries for God and to transform the world around them. You see, this is what God's mission always does. God's mission is always about transforming reality around us. God's mission is always about changing the scene around us, changing the environment around us. And so whether we're at our workplace, people should look at us and they should say, there's something about that person. I don't know what it is, um, but there's something about that person where uh, 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 bad news may come on the job. But that person handles it with a kind of calmness and peace that I've never seen anyone experience like that before. Or that person got bad news about their health, about their um, their future or something like that. And that person handled it with this sense of calmness and lack of anxiety uh, better than anyone I've seen before. That, that that person was going through this and this and this. And I don't see how someone could hold up through that um, because that's the most difficult thing I can imagine a person to go through. Um, but, but they held up and they had this strength that was like none other almost as though um almost as though they weren't actually going through maybe they were living in denial i don't know but no but it's the strength of god at work within us in this calmness of knowing that god is our reward and the fact that we've eliminated that short-sightedness that helps us see beyond today and to see into the future and that god is there I love that verse, and I don't, I mean, I'm not even going to turn there because I have to look for it. I don't know where it is. Um, But there's that verse in John chapter 14, I think, um, where Jesus says to his followers, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. (laughs) That doesn't mean that God's up there with these, like, machines laying the streets of gold and physically building our mansions with hammers and nails. That's not what that means. He means that I'm in your future, I'm already there. And I'm calling you, 
through the storm to come to me because I am your reward. And so here and now, he calls us not to reward, but to responsibility. I want you to see that God has placed before us an open door, Tri-Cities Church. That God has placed before us an open door. That He's opened the door in our community for the spread of the gospel. He's opened the door in our community for us to live as missionaries right now, right here. And it's only as we recognize these open doors and we walk through them that our community will come to know Jesus Christ better. He's opened a door and open doors are always about opportunities to make him known, right? And that's always what these open doors are about. They're never about God just pouring more into our lap so that we can sit on it, so that we can have more stuff, so that we can fill, as the Bible says, barn houses, storage units, and garages with more stuff, right? He's Um, open doors are always about the reward of God and our responsibility to that, that he's opened a door of opportunity, not just for us, but for our community. I love, and if you look throughout the the New Testament, Paul begins talking about these open doors. Look at at Acts chapter 15 or 14. I'm going to read, starting in verse 26. Listen to the way open door is used uh, here in this passage. It says, from Italia... They sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, right? It's this idea that God had opened this door of faith to these this people group that had not yet come to believe. And so they praised God And they were celebrating the fact that God had, not that we had, but that God had opened a door before us and that there were those who were followers of Jesus Christ who walked through that door, who lived out the gospel and told people about Jesus Christ and that now the Gentiles, people who had yet to come to believe in Jesus Christ, were now accepting the gospel and growing in faith. There's another scripture in Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, verse 5. Listen to what it says. He says, after I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while. He's writing this to the church at Corinth. He said, I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that I can, so that you can help me on my journey. So basically saying, I've been traveling, preaching the gospel. I need to slow down here a little bit uh, when I come to visit you, and you can, you can help restore me um, by being a part of the Christian community. Being a part of a Christian community should always be restorative for us. It should always bring us life. He says, so you can help me on my journey. He says, wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now, for I, for I do not want to see you now and only make a passing visit. So he's saying, if I come right now, I'm only going to be able to be there for a day or two. So I don't want to see you right now and only make a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, right? Um, Because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And there are many who oppose me. So he's saying, there, there's a lot of people who oppose me. But there's still a great door for effective work. I love the fact that he doesn't say, God's opened this door. um, And and it's all easy. Nobody opposes me. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm living out my faith. And I have no suffering, no struggle, no, no anything. Right? He's saying, no, there's people who oppose me even as I walk through this open door. But it's an open door, and I'm finding that God is in control. You see, when we read in the Scriptures, this ideal of open door 
is always about responsibility. It's all about the call of God to us, to His church, to walk through these open doors. And as we walk through them, for the gospel to be made known, for people to come to know Jesus Christ. You see, at a very fundamental level, when we read the Bible, we see that God is a missionary God. That from the very beginning to the end, that God is on mission. And God's mission is about Him bringing this world, this upside-down world, turning it right side up. And opening these doors that people might come to know Him and enjoy Him forever. And fundamentally, the Christian life is about us coming to enjoy being in God's presence where there's no lack and no need forever and ever. Amen. And God from beginning to end is this missionary God that's communicating that message and calling us right now, right here, to live on mission. To see where he's working in our society, in our world, and go out and join him. To see where there's lack and need on our jobs, in our neighborhood, in our family, and go out and join him. To see where there's hurting and pain, and go out and join him. See where there's confusion and chaos, and go out and join him. He's calling us to see the opportunities that we have to see, to serve these open doors, to see these open doors, and to seize them in our everyday life. He's saying to us today that this doesn't have to follow a script. There's there's no step, step, step. He says, you see it, and in my name you step in. Where there's need in your society, you see it, and in my name you step in. And you do something about it. In the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how we live on mission. Now, I remember um, uh, several years ago, this has been years ago, I, I, uh, I, I feel like that here's, here's, well, let me just pre- preface this. So, so here's what's happened in our society, right? Um, uh, we have a strong, in my community, in my neighborhood, and, and maybe everybody's neighborhood, maybe, amen. Uh, in my neighborhood, at least, we have a very strong uh, Jehovah's Witness uh, community in my neighborhood. I, I'm telling you, those people are, are uh, they are out there to make sure that you believe what, whatever they, they want you to believe. Um, uh, uh, and, and they are, I mean, they come, they park on the street, they get out, and they're knocking on doors, right, and, and uh, handing out um, mag- these little magazines. And if you're not there, they're leaving them. Um, and, and, uh, and there's other people that, that in different ways uh, uh, believe very firmly in um, making sure people know about um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, and, and that you've accepted it. Now, in, in our society, um, this idea of evangelism or e- even evangelical, the word evangelical, uh, it is almost used uh, in a negative way. Not almost. It is often used in a, in a negative way, where, where now we find people shrinking back from this idea of, right, uh, where the church used to go, not just uh, Jehovah's Witness, but, but where the church used to go, uh, whether you were Baptist, non-denominational, whether you were Presbyterian, whether you were Methodist, right? They used to go uh, knocking on doors and telling people about what they believe. Nobody does that anymore, right? It, it's out of style. It's not fashionable. It's not cool. It, it's just, it, nobody wants anybody knocking on the door 
uh, while they're in their house enjoying themselves. Nobody wants um, anyone just kind of coming up to them randomly out the blue and saying, do you know Jesus, right? People are kind of have been turned off by that in our society. And so the church has uh, begun to shrink back from that. I, I remember this, this story. I was um, I just started work. I used to work at Home Depot over on Cascade. Uh, I worked there all through college. And then when I got married, I ended up going back to Home Depot uh, um, because I, I always tell people, if God didn't call me to preach, he had called me to the lumber department at Home Depot. Uh, and, uh, cause I just kind of enjoyed it. I, I liked it. Um, and, and one of the things I liked most was, was, uh, driving the forklift. Um, I was young. I, I, you know, not long hadn't, had had my license and I was on this forklift, which is a lot of power and energy. I tore up some things a time or two. Those things are really powerful. Um, and this was before, um, this was before some major accidents had happened. Uh, uh, the, at, at Home Depot's um, that people got injured because of reckless forklift driving. Um, and so now when you go into Home Depot and you see these guys with the little orange flags that are always walking before the forklift, they didn't have those at this time. Uh, those had, that, that, was, uh, that was reactionary um, because they needed them and they found out the difficult way um, because people just walk out from you. So I remember this one time I'm sitting on this forklift at Home Depot and this guy comes up to me and, and I stop and I, I just want to see what he wants. He's walking up to me and, and he says to me, uh, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, don't you see what I'm like? I'm in the middle of like driving a forklift. Um, um, I may have even still been a teenager, right? I'm thinking to myself, uh, do you want to meet him, right? Uh, because that can happen right now. Wrong turn, slip of the foot, something like that. Uh, and, and this could happen. And, and I remember being so frustrated with this guy and his tactic of sharing the gospel with me. Um, and, and it's, it's um, and, and I'm, I'm kind of walking through this right now with you, but it's, Stuff like that, right? Tactics like that um, that has uh, caused the church to grow weary with um, uh, talking about our faith. And so we shrink back to this idea that it's enough for me to live out my faith, right? It's enough for me to love people. It's enough for me uh, to be kind to people. It's enough, enough for me to show grace. It's enough for me to show compassion. But, but the truth of the matter is that nobody's come to know Jesus simply through your compassion, right? Nobody sees your kind work when you show up to their house with a gift basket and says, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Take me to your church and baptize me. Nobody, that just isn't the way it happens, right? It just doesn't work that way, right? Nobody's saying because you are compassionate or you are forgiveness here and now and I accept Jesus, here's water, let me be baptized. It doesn't happen. Unless we use words, people are not going to come to know Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says to this church of Philadelphia that I've opened this door for you, this door was about making Jesus known. And so, yeah, it was about going out in your community and representing Jesus Christ through compassion, through forgiveness, through grace, through kindness, through gentleness, through just showing God's love to people. But it was also about them telling people about their faith, telling people about what God has done in their life, telling people about the scriptures that have transformed them. And so somehow we as a church have to reclaim this ideal of evangelism 
and not do it according to a step, 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 one, two, three, do you know Jesus? Uh, Or do you know where you're going to go after you die? Not a step, 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 but in relationship with people, right? Where we have the opportunity to show them that I love and I care for you, that I am your friend and I'm here for you, just like the God of creation is here for you. We get to know people to know that. And then we have to tell them about the God who has transformed our lives. See, God has placed before us, Tri-Cities Church, an open door. And we must walk through it. We must tell people about the God who has transformed our lives. And so here's a challenge for you and a challenge for me. Don't just live it out. Talk it out. Don't just live it out, but somebody has to come to know Jesus Christ, and that's never going to happen if you don't tell them. We gotta be willing to talk about it. We gotta be able to be aware of the places where we're uncomfortable. And this has been in my own life, and I'm really talking from experience being aware of the places where we are uncomfortable, reflecting on those maybe in times of prayer and times when we're at home by ourselves and all is quiet and saying that I am going to press into that discomfort because this is the way I see the world. I see the world as people for whom Jesus Christ has already died and I want them to know that that is true. I see the world as people for whom Jesus Christ has already died. And they got to know that that's true. And actions alone just won't do it. Jesus says to the church, see, I've placed before you an open door. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you, um, yeah, you have placed before us this open door. God, I... I wrestle with this because um, I, I know how, um, how often and how easily I fail. And I know all about the ways that I fall short. And God, it's hard to believe for me that the God of creation has chosen to trust me with an open door. That the God of creation has chosen to trust us with an open door door but you've done that you've done that and so God I just pray that we will see that door and we'll walk through it that as the opportunity arises God that we will not just live out our faith but we'll talk about it God I pray that more and more people will come to know Jesus through Tri-Cities Church And that they'll come and begin to pray to you, God, take my life and use it. God, our prayer today is take our lives and use them. That they might be fully used for you, for your glory, for your good in this world. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.